So there um, is this very, very old story from a long time ago. And uh, it's about this guy named Joshua. And this is an ancient story. I mean, we go back way, way, way back. Like, for instance, for reference for you guys, um, you guys have all seen pictures or seen movies or seen things of the pyramids, right? In Egypt, right? Ancient pyramids built, I mean, thousands upon thousands of years ago. This is when this story takes place. There was this group of people called the Jewish people, and they were literally a, a nation of slaves in Egypt. And the pharaohs used them to build those temples. They used them as slaves to build these pyramids, to build these things. And most of you guys, depending on just your culture, you might know the story of this guy named Moses who came in and he left these slaves out of this place of Egypt and into the wilderness where they were going to go to this new land that God had promised for them called the promised land. That's really creative, right? A land that was promised to you, so you call it the promised land. Not always the most creative in the Bible. Sometimes it's just logical. That's good too. But as Moses did this, after he exited this area and they went out into the wilderness and they were going towards the promised land, Moses not only had his brother Aaron next to him, but he had this other guy who was kind of like his young protege, and this was the man named Joshua. Joshua was kind of the guy who was right beside him through all these situations. He went up with him on the mountain when they were, he would go and meet with God. And he was with Moses through all these hard times, times where they brought manna, times where water came forth, times where I mean, the nation tried to turn on Moses. Joshua was right by his side throughout the entire thing. And in fact, so much so that when they finally got to the promised land and they were going to enter in, Moses wasn't going to cross ahead. And what he did is he basically said, Joshua, now it's on you. And Moses stayed behind. He actually died on the other side. Joshua took this entire nation and he led them into this land they were going. And he not only kind of became their leader, but he became their general. Because they were stepping into a season where they were going to go and all the men were going to go off to war to capture this land and to solidify it as their promised land. So he was the guy who took over. Well, at this time... They ended up signing this treaty with this uh, other people group who were there called the Gibeonites. In fact, the Gibeonites were really smart. They kind of tricked Joshua. But he signed a peace treaty with them and he would honor it because he was an honorable man. And the situation comes where the Gibeonites end up sending message to Joshua. And they say, now here's the deal. Our enemies, the Amorites, they hate us. They've just joined together forces. There's five kings in this Amorite area. They all just joined their armies together, and they're marching to come destroy us. You promised you'd have our back. We need you right now. And Joshua takes off, and he goes to this fight. And that's where we're going to jump into the story, okay? We're just going to jump right into the middle of, of swords flying and, and blood going. Any of my action fans out there, right? We're just going to cut directly to the best scene. We're not going to, no building characters. We don't need that, right? Just get the guns out, get the knives out. We're just going to jump right directly into the crazy action of it in Joshua 10. And let me read you this story. This is a crazy story. It has a miraculous moment to it, something that stands out, something that as we read, of course, we would stop and just ponder because it's so amazing. It says, the Lord threw them into the panic, into a panic. He's talking about the enemy. And the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makeda. 
As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail actually killed more of the enemies than the Israelites killed with the sword. You can picture this, right? There's these giant things of hail coming down, smashing, swords flying, crazy, crazy moment. It says this, On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua, this man, prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. You can see him kind of walking out across this, maybe this mountaintop, and there's these people fighting, and it's this big valley, and he screams out over so that everyone can hear who's there, and he stretches his hands towards the sky, and he says this, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon, and the moon over the valley of Ijalon. So the sun stood still. And the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded also in the book of Jashar? Basically, the writer was saying, this actually got written down in another book because it was such a crazy situation. Not just my writing of it, it's written other places. It says, the sun stayed in the middle of the sky and did not set as on a normal day. Other translations said, basically, did not set for another day. There has never been a day like this before. Or since, when the Lord answered such a prayer, surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. This is an amazing story, right? And we have this action sequence going, and this man walks out. He reaches his hands to the sky, and he prays this prayer. I mean, this, this crazy prayer. Sun, stand still. And it freezes in the sky. Man, that, that prayer just blows my mind. Can you imagine having the faith of Joshua to walk out in front of everybody, reach your hand towards the sky, and ask God, could you grab a hold of that and stop that? We're not going to be able to finish this battle if the sun sets. We need more time. Why don't you just hold the sun in its place? That, that prayer just blows my mind. In fact, one of the reasons why this story stood out to me so much is there's a guy named Stephen Furtick who wrote a book called Sun Stand Still. We have it at our resource center, or you can Find it on Amazon if you want to. But it's this amazing book about that idea of, would we pray, pray such audacious prayers, is what he calls them. A prayer that seems so, I mean, just audacious. Sun stands still. You would have the faith to pray that prayer. But as he does, the Lord comes and he holds the sun in the sky. That they might have another day to defeat their enemies and finish what God had asked them to start. How many of you would love to see God do something that miraculous? How many of you would love, raise your hands, how many of you would love to see the sun stand still? I mean, that kind of miracle, right? Like getting to see something where you would look at it and go, like, I've seen something unmistakably God. Something that that could never have happened barring the intervention of a cosmic force far beyond anything we know. Of course, I I, I totally would too. I want to see the sun stand still in my life. I want to see moments like that. I want to see an opportunity where you see just a miraculous situation take place where you know this is the presence of God. Well, at the beginning of this year, When we very first started off on 2017, we always start the year by kind of focusing in on what we think God wants us to do. And a lot of times we kind of ask God, where do you want us to go? Where where should we head? And this year, at the beginning of the year, kind of different than others. If you weren't here, maybe you didn't hear me say this. But as we prayed about God, what, what do you have for our church this next year? I actually got a question back from God. 
And I felt like God said, do you want favor or do you want faith? Do you want favor or do you want faith? And both are pretty good, right? And both are pretty amazing. I mean, favor, favor is the unmerited grace of God. I mean, just, just God just blessing you, right? Like favor. Things go way better than they should. Success in areas, just, just favor. Things just turn out terrifically. I don't know about you guys, but I am dependent on the favor of God in my life, okay? Very, very often. But faith, faith is what walks us through the hardest seasons, Faith is what keeps us when we're not sure if we even see the favor of God. Maybe we, we don't recognize it. Faith is what, is what holds us there. You know, I said this at the beginning of the year. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you already forgot it. But, you know, faith, faith isn't believing in God. And that sounds weird, right? You say, wait a second. That's what I've always been taught. Faith is believing in God. It's not. The Bible is actually really clear on that. Jesus' brother James writes to the Christians one time, and he literally says this in James 2.19. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe there's one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. He says, faith isn't believing in God. He says, God's enemies believe in him. They believe that he's real. Faith isn't believing in God. Faith is trusting in God. There's a difference. You see, these enemies, they believe in him, but they don't put their trust in him. Us who have faith, it's not just that we say, yeah, there's a God who exists. We put our confident trust in him. We put our hope in him, and we believe in his goodness for our life. We believe in his sacrifice for our life. We believe in his truth and the idea that we have a hope after this life for eternity. Faith is is that confident trust in the Lord. When we thought about it at the beginning of the year, we realize it's faith. Faith is what we, we truly need. Because here's the deal, okay? And in, I mean, whether, whether you guys are a young child, I don't know what we might have in here, you know, 10 years old, something like that, right? Or whether, I mean, you're, you're 80, you're 90, you're, you're, you're closing in, right? Your life is extremely short. Your life is extremely short. For those of you who are young, like teenage and even younger, go talk to someone who's 60 or 70, and they'll terrify you because they'll point at you and go, I was your age yesterday. (laughs) To them, it feels that way. And you're like, okay, that's terrifying because I need more than a few days, right? Very, very soon, no matter what age you are, you will come to the end of this game. That we all have to wrestle with the reality of our own mortality. That we recognize that this life has an end date, has an expiration date that comes to pass. Many people, we try to put it out of our mind. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. But sooner or later, we have to struggle through it and realize there will be a day soon where we will be drawing our last breaths. Where we will be closing our eyes for the last time. And this is the question, friends. In that moment where you begin to draw your last breaths and you know your eyes will soon close and you will pass from this world, can you close your eyes confidently? Can you close your eyes confidently knowing that you have seen God move? 
Or do you want to see more? I mean, I have faith in the Lord, but if I'm really honest, when I think about my, my last days and I think about my last breaths, I think, I want to see more. Yeah, I've seen God move, but I want to see God move even more. I want to see miracles happen in my life. I want to see miracles happen in the lives of those around me, where when I get to the end of my life and I'm slowly drawing those last breaths, I close my eyes tight and I know I have watched God move mightily and I know that he is true and I have no fear to close my eyes because I know where I'm going. Friends, that's how I want us to end our lives. But what does that take? It takes faith. It takes faith, that confident trust in the Lord. If you want to see more, I want you to see more. I'll show you how to see more. But you have to be willing to listen and you have to be willing to take action. You know, at the beginning of this year, we started by kind of reinforcing our faith. That's what we started this year with. And now we're going to start running, guys. This series that we're going to do, we're going to be talking about faith. But in this one, I'm going to get you up out your seats and we're going to start running. We're going to start moving down the path. End of the year, we're going to finish the very last part. I'm going to finish this last series. We're going to fill in the little gaps in between. Anything that's missing, I'm going to fill in for you. So you've got a solid faith by the time this year ends. But for all of us who want faith, we might think something like this. If only I could see the sun stand still. Oh, yeah, I mean, I want to have that confident faith, Cameron, and I, and I would. If only I could see something like the sun stand still. A miracle moment, something that I could point to for the rest of my life where I know that God had moved, and there's no question about it, right? I mean, certainly for, for Joshua. Think about Joshua, right? For the rest of his life, don't you think any time there was a scenario that came into his life that was hard to walk through or difficult or shaky, that although he might feel a little bit of fear that would come into his mind, he would stop and go, yeah, but I watched that sun stand still one time. That there might be a situation where, how are we going to get through this, Joshua? And you go, I don't know, but I watched that sun stand still for a day once. If God can do that, God can do this. And you might be thinking, that's what I need, right? I just need a moment in my life where I've seen God move so mightily that I can point to it and I can hold on to it and I can have faith despite any circumstances. I need a moment that I can point to. And I want you to have a moment. I want you to have a moment in your faith that, that you can point to, that you know you've seen God move. But here's the problem, okay? Okay. The defining moment of your faith. The defining moment of your life. That moment that you're going to point to. Okay? It is preceded by another moment of even greater value. That moment that you would look at and you would say, I need that moment that I can point to for the rest of my life where I saw God move. This is the thing. There is another moment right before that moment of even greater value that you can miss and walk right past. I call it the moment before the moment. The moment before the moment. Joshua had one of these. And we had the sun stand still where he pointed to the sun in the sky and he says, I've watched that thing stop. But Joshua had a moment that came before this moment. And it was of even greater importance, and we could just walk right past it. But this moment was the deciding factor that set up 
for the next. All we have to do is just flip back a couple pages in the story and we can read it right inside of his story. So let's jump back. Joshua 10, 6 through 9 that sets up the story. Before we get to the action, it says this. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us, for the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Now this is the Lord speaking in verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Verse 9, this is the moment. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. There was a moment planned where the the sun would stand still. But before that moment came, there was this other moment of even greater importance. Joshua's finishing up a day with his men. They've likely been out doing things. They're traveling through this area. Perhaps they fought a battle that day. Perhaps they're just taking and working on sharpening swords, getting ready, whatever it is. And and the sun is beginning to dip down. The sun is beginning to set. And as they're starting to break out stuff to set camp, to tear down everything and get ready to bed down for the night, this man runs up, this messenger runs up out of breath and says, I am from Gibeon. And the leaders send word that tomorrow there is a war happening in Gibeon and we will be destroyed if you don't show up. And this is the moment that Joshua has to make a decision. He has to make a decision. Do I follow what seems right, what seems natural? I'm tired. My men are tired. Our horses are tired. It's nighttime. This is going to be a pain. Do we just bed down for the night? Tomorrow morning we break camp. We make for Gibeon and hope when we get there that we can finish off this battle. Or do we leave right now? Do we leave right now? You see, the problem is Joshua was in Gilgal and the war was taking place in Gibeon. I did some research. That's 20 miles away by foot. Not only 20 miles away, 20 miles away through rocky terrain uphill. Gilgal, Gibeon is 3,000 feet higher. It's 20 miles uphill with all your supplies, with all your men. They said, most likely this is a 10-hour journey by foot. 10-hour hike all out. And Joshua has to make this decision. Do we bed down and do we hope for the best tomorrow? Do I trust how I feel? Do I trust how tired I feel? Or do I trust God's word? Because God told me that if I go, not one will prevail against me. Not one will prevail against me if I get there. And Joshua has to make this decision. Do we stay Or do we go? And this is his moment before the moment. Before this amazing day of provision, there is an extremely tough decision. Here's what I believe. If you want to see the sun stand still, you have to be willing to march all night. If you want to see the sun stand still, 
you have to be willing to march all night. Joshua grabs his men and he says, the Lord said that he would deliver these people into our hands. Let's go. Let's go right now. Don't, don't bother taking the saddles off the horses. Put them back up. Tear the tents back down that you started. We're going to go now and we're going to hike all night. And we're going to get there tomorrow morning as sunrise comes up. And I know that we're tired. And we've already finished out a day. But we trust that the Lord said he would give these people into our hands. And despite our exhaustion, the Lord is greater than our tiredness. The Lord is greater than our exhaustion. And tomorrow we will face them and God will prevail and show us that he is trustworthy. Friends, if you want to see the sun stand still, you have to be willing to march all night. This is what I believe. Hard work Hard work sets the stage for a miracle. Hard work sets the stage for a miracle. It's the foundation we lay underneath of what God wants to do. We have this weird thing where we think of work as a bad thing. Work is a beautiful thing. The very first man who was ever designed, Adam, did you know he worked? He wasn't put in the garden and just said, yeah, just hang out, relax. Put him in the garden, God said, start naming things. That's your job. Your job is to name things. That's your job. Work. I believe that we are called to work for the Lord. I believe that we are called as believers, us who have met Jesus, that we are called to work with everything we have to bless the Lord, to work with everything we have to advance his name in the people around us in our life to advance his gospel into this world, to take the good news of who he is as far and as fast as we can. And that sits on us as our hard work. I believe God's willing to do miracles, but I believe it's in us to do the hard work those miracles sit on top of. Joshua was this guy. He was a man of hard work. Joshua was the guy who had Moses' back through the hardest times in the deserts. Joshua was the guy who went into the promised land as a spy, came back. Everybody else who went in as a spy said, let's not do this. Let's not go in there. Him and one other guy named Caleb were the only two who said, if God said it's our land, we need to go because God will deliver it into our hands. The only two men who stood up. In fact, God literally brought them back from the promised land, had a march in circles till everybody who was an adult died until he had a new generation to take into the promised land. And the only two men who entered the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. The only two God let live and go into the promised land were these two men who said, I believe that if the Lord says it, the Lord can do it. Joshua was the man who took these people across into the promised land and he was willing to fight and to battle. He walked around a city named Jericho that was impenetrable, impossible to break down. And the Lord said, if you walk around it for seven days, I'll fight the battle for you. And Joshua did it. He's a hard worker. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He wasn't afraid to have tired legs and tired knees. Friends, I believe we are called to the very same thing today. I don't believe we are called as Christians after we've been saved to step into some sort of just kick back, relax, join the country club. I believe that as we we enforce that, we, we take on that responsibility of who Jesus is, it's like enlisting into the military. It's like saying, Jesus saved me, now I'm willing to do whatever it takes to move forward the truth of his gospel, to move forward who Jesus is. I'm willing to go where he asked me to go. I'm willing to do what he asked me to do. The verse in James we read that was talking about faith, 
It's not enough just to believe in God. Right before that, the very two verses before that, listen what he says. James 2, 17 through 18. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. Friends, what work is your faith inspiring you to do? What hard work is your faith inspiring to do? Are you working your hands tired? Are you using everything you have? Are you going to bed not tired at the end of the day? Not spiritually, at least. That you're not leveraging your days for him. You know, what's sad is that I think our big problem in the United States of America, when we talk about this, about working hard for the Lord, our big problem we have with this is that it's going to inconvenience our life. When I say work hard for the Lord, your reaction to that, your pushback to that, isn't that somebody's going to come and put a gun to your head, like other countries. Not that someone's going to try to cut your head off or that someone's going to come and steal all your property, like other parts of the world where people stand up for their faith. Your pushback to me saying, serve the Lord enthusiastically is, oh, well, that's going to really put a damper on my fun. That we're so blessed that literally your pushback to serving serving the Lord enthusiastically is that's going to inconvenience my life. Yes. Yeah, it's going to inconvenience your life. Jesus is going to inconvenience your life. So it just seems ridiculous to live, you know, doesn't that seem a little bit radical? Yeah, it it seems as radical, per se, as us being eternally separated from the God of the universe destined to go towards a place of eternal separation from him and eternal death, yet God doing 100% of the work to come as Jesus Christ, pay for all of our sins by living a perfect life, then dying in our place to die our death, to pay for our sins, and saying, if you believe in me, I have an eternity waiting on the other side of this life for you. It would take something, per se, that radical to make this make sense, right? Except that's the current situation we sit in. When we, we put it in, in that light, don't we say, doesn't it just make sense that we would leverage this life for him? And we say in the United States of America, I'm, I'm too busy to serve the Lord. I'm too busy to work hard for the kingdom of God. Friends, too busy doing what? Too busy doing what? Stacking up money, buying things and then taking care of those things, relaxing, keeping our traditions, trying to keep up with those people around us and make people like us. What on earth are we too busy doing that we don't have time to serve the Lord enthusiastically? If we're too busy to serve the Lord, to work hard for God, then we're too busy. Something's wrong. What if we're not meant to spend our lives trying to stack up our little things and get everything perfect in this life and trying to make this world heaven? What if we're not meant to try to get everything perfect and make our lives so comfortable and make our lives so perfect to make our own little heaven here on earth because there actually is a real heaven waiting on the other side of death? 
What if the reality is we're not supposed to just be trying to make everything? What if this life isn't supposed to be perfect and easy? What if we're supposed to leverage the life we have in order to prepare for the next? Because we actually believe there really is a real heaven on the other side of death, and there are millions upon millions of people around us that if they do not go, they're not going to be there with me. How silly we must look to an eternal God looking at us stacking up our little Lego houses, stacking up our little bank accounts full of dollars, knowing that they'll all disappear in 60, 70, 80 years. And here he sits in eternity, going, why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting your energy trying to make that that little tiny breath perfect? I have perfection waiting for you. Too busy to serve? Too busy to, to work hard for the Lord? Too busy doing what? And we'd say, I want to have faith in the Lord. I want to see the sun stand still. You guys all raised your hands, right? I want to see the sun stand still. But are you willing to march all night? Are you willing to march all night to get there? The sun wasn't going to stand still in Gilgal. The sun stood still in Gibeon. Joshua wouldn't have got to see that miracle if he didn't go there. Because he would have woke up the next morning, opened up camp, they would have marched. By the time they got there, sun would have been going down. Battle would have already been over for the day. Perhaps the battle would have been already over. They would have already killed all the Gibeonites and it would just be over. And God would have had no opportunity to show up. Friends, we want to see a miracle. But listen, how can we expect God to give us a miracle when we don't even honor him with our mundane? How can we expect God to give us a day, a special day we could point to for the rest of our lives when we won't even serve him with our every day? God, I want to see the sun stand still. And God would say, why? Why would I hold the sun still for you? What are you going to do with the extra time I give you? Are you praying, son, stand still because you're following this call of God and you're working hard for me? Say, God, I need more time to finish the work you have for me. Why would I hold the sun still so you could watch a few more episodes on Netflix? Why would I hold the sun still so you get a little more overtime and put some more money in your bank account? God said, why would I give you a miracle? You're not even using your every day. This is convicting for me as well. Don't think I'm just yelling at you. I'm yelling at myself. Why would God show us a miracle? Friends, I believe we're supposed to use what we have. Jesus says this. He's talking to his disciples, trying to explain the kingdom of God. And listen how he puts it in Matthew 25, 29. He says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing with even what little they have will be taken away. He says, those who who use well what they have, I'm going to give them more. But he says, those who do nothing with what they have, I'm going to take away even the little bit they have. He says, you you don't have to worry about what you would do if you have a million dollars. You have to worry about how much you would do with what you have in your bank account. You don't have to worry about what you would do if you had all the time in the world. You have to worry about what you would do after work before you go to sleep. You're not responsible for all that. You're responsible for what you have. And I can tell you, This is the reason why I think I've seen blessing in my life. Because when I was in college, I started praying this prayer over my life. 
I started praying this prayer. God, if there are those who you have called and you have given talents to and they are burying them in the sand and wasting them, dig them up and give them to me. Dig them up and give them to me and I promise if you give me a new talent, I will run as fast as I can with it and I will leverage it for your gospel because there are people who are dying and are going to hell and I need every single talent I can get. As much as we possibly can. Friends, are you leveraging the life you have to serve God? Are you serving the people around you sacrificially? Are you serving your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people who you know need to know Jesus? Are you serving them sacrificially with your life? Are you serving your local church radically? Jumping onto teams, jumping into groups so that you can say, we need to go as fast as we can with the gospel. We need to make sure there's a place where people can get plugged in and learn about Jesus. Are you leveraging everything you have? Are you working on your faith forcefully? Not as though someone just perusing a new hobby, but someone who delves into God's word saying, I need your presence desperately so that I can make it through this world. I need you to come and speak to me because today I have the opportunity to share life or death in people's day. My coworkers, my my friends, my family, the words that I speak could bring life to them or could bring death, and I desperately need to have your spirit, God. Friends, for us as a church, we want to see miracles. We want to see miracles in this church. We're not interested in just having a church of a bunch of people who come and hang out together. I mean, if you're exploring your faith and you're here today and you say, man, this is just the beginning for me. I don't really know I believe this. This is awesome because you can kind of let this roll off your back. You're like, I'm not a Christian yet. You guys are the ones who are in trouble, right? That's, I get that. That's okay. You guys exploring your faith, that's awesome. You're always welcome here. But for you who have met Jesus, we're not interested in creating a little club where we just hang out together. We're interested in a place where we see miracles. Friends, we're interested in having a church, and we've seen this, where we have the person who people say, they would never, they would never give their life to Jesus. They would never come to faith. And we've watched them walk in and sat down, sit down and raise their hand at the end of a service. Friends, we're the church where we have people come in who've faced addictions for years and years and years of their life. And we watch as they've turned that over to the Holy Spirit and say, I desperately need help from a God above. And we watch as God has broken addictions in lives that have destroyed lives for generations. Friends, we're the church of marriages and relationships that come in where they're threadbare, falling apart, desperately, man, I mean, just disintegrating. And we watch as the Holy Spirit has rushed in and drawn two hearts back together and made marriages stronger than they ever were from day one. Friends, we've seen miracles in this church, and that's what we're interested in. We're interested in a church of miracles and life change and people finding stories where they point to and they say, I've seen the sun stand still in my life. But we understand we have to do hard work as well. For us at our church, what we always say, we say we do the little things like big things and God does the big things like little things. We do all these little things as big things. We put every bit of blood, sweat, and tears we can into them. We do them to our very best ability, and God shows up, and he does things like healing marriages. He does things like like breaking addictions. He does things like saving souls as if they're nothing. But we're willing to work hard. We're willing to brace up our tired knees and tape up our fingers again and say, let's go. 
that we understand. We want to see the sun stand still, but the sun doesn't stand still in Gilgal. It stands still in Gibeon. That we're willing to march all night if need be to reach those people who need Jesus. Friends, you said you wanted to see a sun stand still. But are you willing to march all night? I want you to have your moment. I think God wants you to have your moment that you point to. But are you going to miss the moment before the moment? Are you going to walk right past that decision that sets us up for it? Are you going to be too tired that you say, let's just, let's just bed down for the night. I don't feel like hiking all night. Friends, don't miss your son stand still moment. Be willing to move. Reorganize your life. Reorganize your priorities. Reorganize your energy. Redetermine that you are not going to walk a mediocre faith where you just say, I'm a Christian and I go to church, but a faith where you say, my life is devoted to serving the Lord. I will serve him radically to the point where people will look at me and they will say, that's crazy. I want to share with you a story to finish this sermon. A story of a guy named William Borden. And I'm actually going to tell it to you over the three weeks. There's a lot to it. And I just want to share a piece of it today. There's this guy named Borden. And he was born in 1887 in Chicago. Okay? Born into an extremely wealthy family. His parents actually made millions upon millions of dollars, silver mines out west in Colorado, okay? Millions upon millions of dollars in 1887, right? Lots of money. This boy grew up in Chicago, and he went to Moody Church, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus there in Chicago in Moody Church. And when he graduated high school at age 16, his parents decide to give him a gift for graduation. And what it was is it was a year-long vacation around the world, a year-long trip around the world, chaperoned, to go and see the entire world, go and see Asia, Europe, the Middle East, travel all around and see the world and understand it. And he went on this trip for a year, this vacation. And when he came back, surprisingly enough, he didn't come back relaxed, chill. He came back with a mission. He came back and he told his family, I've seen the rest of the world and I want to devote my entire life to spreading the gospel to areas that have never heard it before. And his family and friends were devastated. One of his friends actually remarked, you're wasting your life. You have all these resources. You are so blessed. You are so rich. And you're not going to enjoy these things. Instead, you're going to take and you're going you're to walk and, and do all this hard work to be a missionary for what? And he said, Borden decided that he was sad on what he was doing. And he went to Yale to start his education. He said, I need to start my education, and then I'll go, and I'll learn how to be a missionary. I'll learn, and I'll go. And as he went off to college, he said that they opened up his Bible, and he wrote in his Bible, no reserves. No reserves. That he didn't think there was anything worth holding back. Yeah, he had everything in the world, a millionaire kid. And he said, No reserves. There's nothing that I would hold back from the Lord. If you want to know what happens when he gets to Yale, you're going to have to come back next week. 
story gets even better in the next section. So you're going to need to come back and hear it. But let me pray for us. God, I am so thankful for this day. And I'm thankful for you speaking. I'm thankful for you moving today. I ask Jesus Christ, would you please, would you please stir in our hearts change? Lord, I believe you have moments for each one of us. You have a son that is ready to stand still. But God, don't let us miss it because we're too tired and sleepy. Don't let us miss it because we we miss the moment before the moment and we're unwilling to to march all night to see it. God, I pray that you would would do something in us. You would fire us up. You would put fire in in our stomachs. You'd put fire in our bones and we would ache, Lord, to serve you, to leverage our lives for your glory. Jesus, please, please, please spark movement in our hearts that there is nothing too much to give, that we would have no reserves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.